Mike, did I ever tell you about the uh, the story I tell my kids all the time about the rocket ship that landed in my front yard? I mean, probably, but you tell a lot of stories, dude. So. <laughs> <laughs> they're all true. <laughs> all right. Well, this is the way I explain, like, the earthquake that I went through. Because mm. it was huge. And come to find out, like, it was an earthquake that, it was one of the rare earthquakes that went up and down and then side to side. Gotcha. And this all lasted like 20 seconds. I wish I paid attention in earth science class. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really rare one. Usually they either go like side to side um, and give you those waves in the ground. Oh, I usually call that not after drinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's like 4 a.m. It's in L.A. Mm. I'm, I don't know, eight, nine years old. Okay. And I'm asleep on the top of my bunk bed. My two-year-old brother, who's, you know, toddler, maybe three, almost three, he's at the bottom of the bunk bed. All I remember is hearing this great rumbling noise and my bed shaking slowly. Mm. And I look outside my the window and it's like flashing bright lights. And in my kid brain, I'm like, there's a rocket ship, emergency <laughs> landing in the front yard. Yeah, makes like, sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it made sense. <laughs> and... And then the shaking got bigger and it started going up and down. And I thought my biggest fear was that I was going to get squished into the ceiling because mm -hmm. my bunk bed was like only, I don't know, three feet away from there. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, just like try to flatten my body as much as I can. Mm -hmm. And then I realized like, this is an earthquake. I hold on to the one part of my bunk bed, put my hand over my neck. Like I was told through all my earthquake drills yeah. <laughs> and, um, it's still going on and I look across and like all my, all my stuff, my bookshelf with my hamster on it is just bouncing across the floor <laughs> and then the earthquake shifts and goes side to side. So, mm. But all these things have momentum going one way and then yeah. it shifts and then all of a sudden my hamster is just flying across the space and just shatters across under the wall. No animals was hurt in this. Eventually, no. Fozzie was okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, no, like, somehow that hamster survived. I don't want Peter. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we did, I didn't do it. Oh, it was oh. Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and so I looked down to, like, I, I, at some point, I'm like, I got to check on my little brother. Yeah. And he's still sound asleep, <laughs> like any lazy toddler would be. Yeah. And so we're going and shaking, and then, you know, everything's just flying in my room. And my dad runs in and he finally picks me up off of a, he swoops me off of the, the top of the bunk and carries me like fire firefighter style. If you know what that is. Mm -hmm. And then he like tucks my brother under like a football and just like somehow just runs the hell out of there. I don't know how he did it without, I just remember seeing all kinds of stuff just fly by him. Um, and then we were, we we had to live in our like backyard for like a month mm. and luckily we were like not just my immediate family but a lot of my extended family we're a camping kinds of family and so everybody like and all their houses got messed up so everybody and we had like the biggest backyard by la standards and everybody just mm. congregated into our backyard mm. and it was a little terrones lopez like clark Cincinnati's like family reunion camp out and it was just it it was it was kind of insane and just 
like all these people living in my backyard, pulling together all of their mm. um, camping equipment. And it was so fun. Yeah. Even though for like <laughs> a month I had no school because my parts of my school got burnt. The playground was messed up. Mm. If you don't, if some of you people know California, you know that sometimes new mounds will arose out of the ground <laughs> because earthquakes can be that severe. A freeway collapsed. Police officers like who were trying to respond, like drove off of it. Mm. Other people drove off of it. Firefighters, like it was, it was a mess. Yeah. I mean, the 94 earthquake of Northridge, many of these people have probably heard about it, but that was, that was significant in my childhood. Mm. All right, y'all. So everyone knows that childcare is essential. We're some of the most influential people out there, yet we are often overworked and underpaid. So how can you work full time, have hobbies, show your friends and family love? self-care, and also fine-tune your skills and grow more in-depth? That's where we come in. These NAPCasts are designed to help you learn on the go, hear another perspective, spark debate, (laughs) heck, even agree with us, but honestly remind you that you're not alone. We live in a complex world, so allow us to challenge your perspective. So are your headphones in? Did you turn the volume up? All right, now, good. Let's get it. Welcome to NAPCAST, a podcast produced by Hilltop Children's Center in Seattle, Washington, on the traditional lands of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish people. I'm your co-host, Mike Brown. My pronouns are he, him. Haku, everybody. Haku is uh, hello and chumash. And I am Nick Deronis, pronouns he, he, him. Let me let me start first. It's after hours, so I guess I can do this. But let me start by pouring just just a little bit of drink, right? Because, dude, twenty twenty has been one big disaster. I'm so over twenty twenty. I'm already ready to cancel twenty twenty one. And <laughs> well, I mean, what what are we gonna like fast forward to though? <laughs> like, hope are we? Are we trying to embrace our own sense of erasure mentality? But hey, like, as long as it's coming from myself, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but this this year has been a year of big changes, big shocks to the entire system. Um, and honestly, it's not every year that these big momentum things, you know, that truly affects a community, an entire community, happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about. Things where communities and organizations and, and businesses truly have to come together, as we've seen this year. This is true. And, you know, I think, like, like what, what's true about a lot of disasters and when it rains, it storms kind of things. It's like <laughs> yeah, no many, many of the people that are... In the midst of it, mm-hmm. there's no precedent of how to go about it oh. other than your just drills, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, you go through the drill and you go through the first stage of said incident, and then what? Mm. That's true. And it's funny you say that because this past week, um, we faced one of those at Hilltop, a disaster, so to speak. And I, I don't really want to talk about that 
that theme in this episode, right? How do we build and sustain the sense of community during troubling times, during disasters? And I and I don't mean like we ran out of fruit cups for the kids and, and our children started acting like it was Lord of the Flies type, <laughs> of, type of disasters. When I mean disasters, I'm talking about moments where life stands still. We completely have to shut down. So there's been... A couple of disasters, right? And I'm using air quotes here because it's all relative to your situation. Right. What we perceive as disasters could be something relatively easy to manage to other organizations. But last week at Hilltop, we got flooded, right? Like the one time it rained all summer and it hits us hard. So like when you said it rains and pours, it storms, <laughs> you know? It floods. It floods, right? <laughs> it storms and floods, yeah. <laughs> when I say flooded, I mean water was like pretty much up to my shin. Mm-hmm. Not just at our Queen Anne location, but at our Fremont location as well, which we just opened up. That's what I thought was really weird. Mm. Because, I mean, that particular location is more or less more on top of a hill. No, no, we're at the bottom of it. I know you don't remember because... No, I, no, I remember seeing... I mean, it's, I mean, it's more at the top of the hill than... It's more elevated than the Queen Anne. Exactly. Location, it's more but, elevated, but it's on a slant. Yeah, this yeah. is true. Yeah. Uh, but I just thought that that was still weird yeah. that both locations <laughs> got flooded. And when I got the call. And at like, least it was rainwater this time. Thank and goodness. Not, not sewage water like we <laughs> yeah. had to endure before. In the past, right? But sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Didn't you know, cut you off. And as we sit here uh, tonight, you know, um, we're still really not sure the extent of the damage. So I just kind of want to get into this a little bit. And I want to hear what keeps you alive, right? What keeps you moving? What keeps you swimming? No pun intended, obviously. What keeps you fighting when you're faced with big problems, like when your place is being flooded? And you've experienced this in the past. Sewage water. At Hilltop? Yeah, at Hilltop, yeah. Uh, Yeah, two floods. Yeah. (laughs) And one of the ones was, I think it was the first one. It was so significant. Mm. Like, and I guess that's kind of called back to your, to what you were saying earlier about like a disaster to one may not seem disastrous to another. Exactly. I think because Hilltop has had the experience of going through this and this is like documented stuff that like even the building manager knows that this is a possibility and that we've had new sump pumps put in. Exactly. That measures have been taken, but also it's a very big inconvenience as you guys are like experiencing. Um, So the first time that this happened, it happened at the beginning of the year and all the hilltop classes had to go to different locations Mm -hmm. because they had to tear down the walls like they're going to do again this time. But this time there's a, Mm -hmm. there, there's obviously logged information that they're, it's going to be expedited a little bit. They know where the water is going to pool. Exactly. Whereas the very first one where it was a combination of rain and sewage water, it, it became this, they had no idea, so they had to just rip out all the walls, okay. and it became inhabitable for everybody for like six months. Mm. And I had to commute, you know, d- to downtown Seattle from where I was living in Shoreline, which is like with good traffic, maybe forty minutes still. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> until I eventually was like, all right, I should take the bus to go like two miles. By the way, <laughs> yeah, not not very lo- not very far, but our our city infrastructure for transportation is crap, and so my class was downtown in a federal building, and we had to get like extra background checks on the people that were going to be in there and then the other classes had to go um they got dispersed between a couple churches and community centers Mm. now if you think about that a federal building community center (laughs) and churches all these public spaces Mm -hmm. now let's imagine if these public spaces didn't have funding or they didn't exist or whatever what would happen to the ECE situation that is Hilltop? You know, and the way that we like addressed it with the kids is I wrote, I, uh, and the, the binder still is probably there. I wrote a learning story about what yeah. had happened. And it's like a, I don't know, seven page, but mostly photograph like learning story of like, hey kids, this is what happened. You know, and just, I was very blunt about it. Like, yeah the system wasn't able to uphold what like all the water that came through and i was like oh and here's like uh, one of our financial people here here's peter walking through it and like he's clearing out the furniture that you like to jump on or Good whatever mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and so you know there was a lot of like how do we communicate this to kids and like let them know what the the different um the differences are going to be and, you know, I think in your guys' situation, it's like the strength of what you're working with, like not not worry about like how kids are going to be at a deficit to understand this, but what are their strengths? These, these little people have like already have dealt with so much flexibility and so much adversity mm-hmm. that this next layer of it, they're just, they're probably going to be like, okay, yeah. just... Where am I going to go to be safe? Am I still going to get to see my friends? Will I still get to see one or some of my teachers? Am I still going to have my space? That's all they really want to know. Yeah. And that's what it felt like with me in the earthquake situation. I was like, all right, my house is messed up. I don't get to go to school, but I still get A, B, C, D, L, M, P, all these things. (laughs) Like, what do they get to have? So... I guess to answer your question, though, it's like I really got to quote my uh, all-time favorites movies, Frozen okay. Two. Okay, here we go. Do buckle in. Do the next right thing. And you know, it's like what we were saying about emergent curriculum before is like a lot of the stuff is easier said than done. But for our brains as adults, we we want we want answers right away. Yeah. But kids. They, they just want sort of like the meat of things yeah, or the tofu things. If I was going like to say, I was gonna say <laughs> got a lot of vegans out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, 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 just give them the truth and the truth of like how they're going to be safe, how they're going to be of how they're going to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's it. That's all they want to know. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, for myself, it's do the next right thing. Because I think if you look too far forward, it's way overwhelming. It is. And then you bypass the next right thing. But if you just take a breath and break it down, 
<laughs> what's the next right thing in this particular situation? I think you'll be cool as a cucumber. Mm. So is that your advice to colleagues, right? Because how do you value your colleagues to keep to keep their spirits uplifted, right? To, right. to instill hope in them. Well, and this is the thing too, is like I'm obviously only speaking, I guess, to my experience. Mm. Um but sometimes sometimes that helps people is to hear other people's experiences mm -hmm. and the things that they have gone through or whatever. I mean, I, I mean, I shared that story with you, not the earthquake one, but where I hung myself in a tree on accident. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We got to share that on Napcast one day. Bro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How children are resilient. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing is like people are resilient. Mm hmm and in our resil like I think a lot of the strength in the resiliency is not knowing. Mm. I mean, humans have been doing particular in dealing with natural disasters or dealing with this ain't new right? things that are out of the ordinary or whatever. Like, yeah. So it's just finding that capacity of where your resiliency is at, not looking too far into it. I think. Gotcha. Even oh. Pachi said something in one of our in our last episodes, just about the space, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of people process differently, and I'm very much an an extrovert. Like, let's just put it all on paper because I'm a visual learner, right? But some people just need that space to process, right? And having that time to just work through and say it out loud, and it might sound, you know. Uh, for me, it might sound ridiculous or it might it might resonate or stuff like that. But sometimes you just kind of need to say it out loud. Yeah. You need to provide that space for people to just talk it out. Mm -hmm. Right. And my mom said in one in in her episode, like, you gotta let the kids just scream it out sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's what we also need to do for our colleagues to to allow them just to express themselves. Cause that's the way that they process and that's the way that they keep their hope alive. Yeah, I agree. And you know. I guess that's where I'm trying to feel like I'm not downplaying like and, and trying to promote people to like, just get over it. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, like I have been guilty in the past to be like, well, at least you weren't born a child soldier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Don't say or that. like, <laughs> or at least you weren't born this, or at mm -hmm. least you weren't born in the cartels or, or X, Y, and Z. Yeah. At, my buddy, uh, he came. He came back from like a two-month-long like stint in um, uh, just vacationing in Vietnam. And one of these like old ex actually like soldiers, but on the Vietnamese side, mm -hmm. the communist side. He told him like, "Misery is misery. Whatever, whatever yeah. your position of misery is, it." And that's something I'm like has steered me away from being like, well, at least you're not this and blah, blah, blah. Be exactly. grateful for what you have had because that's how I was brought up with. Mm -hmm. Right. It was like, Hey, you could have been born in X, Y, and Z, or you could be this person. It's like, but that's all not mothers the of color are right? the same. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the reality is like, but I'm not, mm. I'm going through this. Mm -hmm. And this is what I need to be acknowledged for. And I need the space, like yep. you're saying, to be able to voice that. And yes, I do. Maybe, maybe I am a person, not me, but the general you, maybe you are a person who needs to have isolated space with like, like-minded people to just 
call it out. Yeah. Maybe you just need to yell it out. Mm. Maybe you just need to sit down and just kind of BS through it with people. Or maybe you're, I know a lot of people who just want to make light of it and exactly. joke about it. And, and I guess what I'm really trying to say is like, whatever you come across in your professional yep. life, that's how someone's going to process something. Yeah. And you have to honor it and validate it. because we don't know what experiences they've had to lead them up into that point. Right. And I like your, um, when you said, uh, but how do you like, you know, continue hope with them and Mr. Rogers. <laughs> yeah. His mom told him and everybody knows this quote by now. Hopefully look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And this is the idea that like, you know, of like be the change that you want, that you want to see or be the solution. Actions speak louder than words or, you know, all of those mantras. And I believe like in trying times, this is what's going to be most helpful because when your sleeves are rolled up and you're next to your homie, you're next to your colleague or whatever, mm-hmm. you guys are toiling through or, absorbing the flood mess or whatever it is naturally conversation is going to arise there's a there's a i think that like hey we're doing the same work mm-hmm. and this shared meaning and, and restoration of hope i feel like will emerge so i might be just up in my feels right now because it's super fresh right this this flood disaster was organizational specific right and not everyone listening right now is, is going through that. So I'm going to put down the Henny and I'm going to zoom out <laughs> to a disaster <laughs> or issue that affected us regionally here in the Pacific Northwest, where about like, I'd say 60% of our audience comes from. Okay. Our portion of the country, our portion of the world, it's burning. And there's so many reasons why it's happening. I personally call it com- climate change, right? I also think it also... You mean literally yeah, burning, man. Literally, right? And I, I'm also, you know, I also think if we give these lands back to the indigenous population, the first people who know the land and can do controlled burning to mitigate its effects, then we literally wouldn't be choking on our own ear right now. So you're calling on that... Uh, did I tell you about that article? Was it about New Zealand, Australia? No, no, no. That's where I got it from. No, no. Here in the United States. I didn't tell mm-hmm. you about that. Mm-mm. Yeah, man. Like there's this, uh, I think it's like New York Times. It's like a big, you yeah. know, big publication. Yeah. But there's um, indigenous people, nations right now, their own firefighter crews that are going out and doing their traditional burnings, regardless of whatever the, again, that, <laughs> that MF in California Indian Act of yeah. whatever. So that particular act also made them made uh, the indigenous people of California stop doing their traditional burns of the forest land because they knew even up to thirteen thousand years ago mm-hmm. that this was a good practice. So they didn't lose their own stuff. You can tell I'm like not trying to swear, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know, like yeah. So. Yeah, you so you got the, the you got the the Miwoks out there. You got um, 
the Shumash used mm. to do it, mm -hmm. and there's some Shumash, uh, Shumash people that have been doing it. So that Miwoks are in Northern California, uh, Shumash are in Southern California, and then you got a bunch of natives in between, or people that claim these tribes and are affiliated with these tribes, and they are uh, Pomo. Uh, uh, you uh, no. Anyway, they're going <laughs> out there and they are doing their traditional burns. They're just disregarding federal, like this quote unquote federal regulated racist act. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you think about it, like, what if they had been allowed to do this? See, exactly. Like, it it, it just blows my mind the the way that we've treated people in this country. But that <laughs> I feel like I'm just gonna go back to our episode: Is America anti-black? Right. Right. And you can really substitute black for brown you can substitute brown for indigenous you can substitute indigenous for for you know foreign whatever that is and it's it would still resonate mm -hmm. but maybe we should do a uh i'm claiming it but you just said it but maybe we should do a uh a follow-up to is america anti-black i think we should yeah. oh, maybe that's where we get a mirror back on yeah yeah but we follow like yeah okay okay but that's a conversation <laughs> for another time right We'll be right back. Hilltop Children's Center is a high-quality preschool, after-school program, and professional development institute of early learning and inquiry, serving the Seattle community since 1971. Together, we are working with the next generation of inventors, leaders, thinkers, artists, and social activists. For more information on our professional development and community outreach, including workshops, presentations, blogs, coaching and consulting, and of course, this NAPCAST, please visit www.hilltopcc.org. So like, how are you responding to, to the situation, to the unique physical and, and emotional needs of children, you know, who are really impacted by this burning? Are you just having them punch each other or like go punch a pillow or are you are you sitting down and you're talking about this kind of what is what is your philosophy your take on and all this smoke <laughs> damn mike yeah that that uh, that's it you know and it's we're all thrusted into this you know like we are with everything um and at a certain point, all of us are being, we're being driven a little bit wonkadoodle mm -hmm. <laughs> with, with uh, having to be inside because of COVID. Mm -hmm. You're having to be inside because you're wearing a mask mm -hmm. and that like restricts your breathing to a degree, like especially if you're running around. If you're a kid that's like four or five, you have to wear your mask, right? Yeah. Now, granted, with the toddlers I was with, we didn't have to like push them to wear a mask. But what I remember working with toddlers is like, and I guess this answer your question. Remember, you mean like 10 days ago. Yeah. <laughs> from, from back in my day. <laughs> um, you know, I'm still wearing my mask in the classroom and we're all having to be indoors. Mm -hmm. And I'm wrestling with these, with these little toddlers. Yeah. And this is the way that, like, you know, we all got to get our wiggles out. 
Mm-hmm. I got to get my wiggles out. They got to get their wiggles out. And I know that it's not going to be necessarily age appropriate for me to try to get them to sit down after being indoors for five hours. Yeah. Or even if I let them like run around the classroom for five hours. And actually that was a thing too. Yeah. It's like, hey, you got 10 minutes to just run laps. Just do it <laughs> in the classroom. Us teachers are standing at the precarious corners that might, you know, elicit like stitches or whatever. (laughs) But if that wasn't going to be, you know, they, they can only do it so much and then they're, they, they want to be outside. Mm -hmm. And so it also came down to like, you know what? I got to get down and nitty gritty with them. Mm. And like, I lay myself flat on the ground, but all right, kids come pile on me. I'm going to try to get up. And then, you know, I got like six, maybe eight toddlers on me and I'll try to do a push-up or I'll try to do a crunch and I'm like oh now I do like to work out and I like to exercise so this is good like you know a little little in between exactly yeah and so I guess like you know I would I would challenge like a lot of teachers out there like get get nitty-gritty with your kids get down on the ground give them the people's elbow boom (laughs) you know give them give them a little like clothesline Give them a little like kid headlock. Wrestle with them. Yeah, I mean, be with them. Connect with them. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, it just just doesn't have to be toddlers. That might be the way oh, talking. Yeah, yeah. It's a little tongue tied. But you know, you can do this in preschool. You can do this in kindergarten. Especially, especially. And you know what? Um, I mean, yeah, I do this with toddlers. Mm-hmm. So if I can do it with toddlers, y'all can do it with many people out there. Yeah. And it's a simple of like just sit on the ground. Keep your hands out and be an octopus and push kids away. <laughs> May and, love it. Yeah. They're like, ha, ha, ha. And you can let them know what your limits are. You know, I tell them, like, nothing below the belt. <laughs> or or uh, from the uh, the belt and the knees. There you go. You can take out anything else, but <laughs> belt and knees, you can't you can't go for. And and honestly, there's there's no great feeling than, like, a bunch of, like, I don't know, 24 little hands just pounding your back. Yeah. It's like a little massage. <laughs> and you're not telling them to go like punch a pillow or anything. No. Yeah. Yeah. That was the other thing that uh, brought up some feelings for me. Um, as someone who grew up being told, go punch a pillow or go do this, you know, on this soft thing at a certain point, your frustration, your, your, uh, lack of a better word, your aggression, your your output. Yeah, there you go. Yep. A pillow just doesn't do it. Mm. And at a certain point, you want to, you want something a little bit more tangible. And, you know, I don't know if this is the episode to dive into it, but like, <laughs> I was a person that eventually was like, you know what? Pillows just didn't do it. Um couple of martial arts classes didn't give me enough sparring until I found the right ones that did or yeah. and then playing football also but I only played football I didn't I didn't do wrestling in the winter I didn't mm-hmm. do track or anything like that I needed physical contact um so after football it was like hit myself or cut myself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I could have a physical input. Yeah. And this is only like, you know, again, my own particular story. I have talked to other people who have had similar stories like this, but hitting a pillow just is not a long-term solution. Yeah. 
And if as early childhood educators, we are looking at giving long-term solutions for people, for life skills and or life uh, abilities, yeah. then just go hit a pillow is not, it's not going to be satisfying enough. Because at a certain point, that kid is going to punch through the pillow. And it's like, and what else? Yeah, it might punch a person. And it reminds me of the... You talked about this in a couple episodes ago, but you talked about how when you were in India and you saw the commercial of the the boy, you know, always being told not to cry, not mm-hmm. to show emotions. Yeah. And then at the end, it showed, you know, uh, showed him. He, he, he's holding um, what apparently was supposed to be his wife or like partner, mm-hmm. female partner in a in an arm lock. And, you know, holding back his tears and just the, the whole idea was teach your kids to cry so they don't make someone else cry. Mm. So, I mean, if you're a person that like, you know, an educator, and I think it's all in good intent to tell a kid to punch a pillow. Let me tell you that that is not a long-term solution. Yeah, A long-term solution is... What they need, they just need some input. Yeah. So be willing to give them input. Embrace them. You know what? Like, lay, like have them lay on their belly like a hot dog, you know, mm. arms to the side. And just, like, put your legs down. And I'm, I'm only going to say this, like, maybe, like, and you'll have to judge what it is for your body weight, but, like, 60%, right? Like, just give them 60%. And then tell them they got to wiggle out of it. Give them that force. It's yeah. like the idea of it being a, you know, like a weighted blanket or whatever. And and I and I like that because you know we have people with various adults who are listening with various abilities, right? Who are like, oh, I can't get down and do the nitty gritty as right. as someone like you or or someone with various other abilities. And I think what you just said is is a way for them. To be involved physically mm-hmm. and allow children to use gross motor skills and, mm-hmm. and to respond to the physical emotional needs when they're stuck inside. Yeah. And, you know, e- even if you don't want to do your legs and you just want to, like, sit crisscross applesauce, mm-hmm. like, put one hand on, like, I don't know, like, three inches below where their, like, where their shoulder blades meet. And then one one hand on where their low uh, their hips like me, mm-hmm. like where their tailbone is, and just give light pressure and have have the kid like roll back and forth, and or just make it challenging for yourself exactly. and for them. Well, we don't went down that rabbit hole from yeah. from disasters to this burning. But we're talking about how to cope with burning. Exactly. And kids are going to have you know these physical responses. I feel like, especially if they're kept indoors. Absolutely. But you know, I keep as we keep talking, I'm still coming up with this feeling like, dang, that's not the realities of all of our listeners. So let's take it in a step further. Let's go to a disaster that affected all of us, all of us around the world in some capacity, right? Let's go back to 9-11. You were in what year at Hilltop? <laughs> Dude, I, I I was a senior in high school. In 9-11? Really? Yeah. Oh, man. You're talking about like Twin Towers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Senior in high school. Damn, how old do you think I am, Mike? I don't Mike? know, man. This is all over. I know I sound <laughs> I sound old and wise. But no, um Yeah, I can't I can't answer that. Okay. Um So but say that were to happen now. How well it you... is happening now to oh, a degree, yeah, exactly, right? Exactly, right? Like the I you know, I'm not taking away from any of the people that lost families in nine eleven or anything like that, but I think the United States has just been in this constant upheaval and turmoil. Probably, I mean, before then for sure, but maybe more so especially since then. Mm -hmm. Because even though we had Obama. Missing. Yeah. (laughs) That was a smooth brother. The only time there's like, okay, give that president like until he dies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Give him the Teddy Roosevelt treatment because, you know, they did like four terms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. All right. He's like the only president that I think a lot of people or at least people like you and I might say do that. (laughs) And and granted, like I didn't agree with a whole lot of Obama things, but there's definitely more than than the guy I share a birthday with. (laughs) We won't talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) But... Okay, so if it wasn't 9-11, so let's talk about today, right? How are you breaking down the current events of today with children? Man, I haven't even had the the blessing to be able to do that with. But because it is a blessing. Mm. And I think if you are an educator, an adult educator with young children, mm-hmm. look at this t- look at these times as it being a blessing for you to dismantle these things that we've been talking about Ooh. on the NAPCAST. Yeah. And look at it as a time for us to like dismantle a lot of the institutionalized things that are, that are there and are being spotlighted. Yeah. And I mean, even roaches can get away from the spotlight, mm-hmm. but racism, sexism and genderism are not that well adapted Mm. compared to a cockroach and they will not get away from the spotlights that education can shine upon them. And I, and I really feel that this is the opportunity for education, especially early education, because that's what we're talking about. Exactly. This is where we can start swaying a different way, you know, but that requires us to talk about it. Right. That requires us to, to be able to simultaneously fill up our cup of, of our own internal knowledge to be able to have the courage and afford to, to be like, oh, why do you think, oh, I, I hear you're saying you want to build the wall. Why do you think that? Why do you, you know, express that? Where is that coming from, right? To have that, that mental fortitude as well as having that self-resiliency for yourself so that you don't get burned out. Right. And you know what, Mike, like, I wanted to say it, it, it's the same of like filling up your cup, mm-hmm. drinking it, mm-hmm. or tossing it out and then being ready to fill it up again. Exactly. Fill up your cup of what you know. I guess like I don't, I don't want to say like fill up your cup with what you know is right because I – Obviously, there's a lot of people who feel like there are things that are right that we don't think are right. So, ultimately, what are you arguing for? 
Remember I was like, there's mm-hmm. been a couple things offline that we have talked about, like where I've had to like come to my own solutions to, mm-hmm. and it's like, ultimately what, what are you arguing against? Are you arguing against like inequality or, or I mean, are you arguing for inequality and whatnot mm-hmm. and individual liberties? Okay. If you're arguing for individual liberties, then that actually might lead you into more like <laughs> progressive quote unquote thinking. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, Thomas Jefferson said that like the constitution of the United States should be a living document, yep. but it has not been. And the only people that are like making it so are from the sixties to now. Mm-hmm. Man, Cornell West. Okay, here we go. Cornell <laughs> You know I can't go he, he was absent for a while. You didn't talk about it in the last episode. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so Cornell West, in a particular um in the book that I'm reading, he's talking about the Rodney King riots. Mm-hmm. And he's like, the Rodney King riots make the nineteen sixties or no, this, he, the ninth, yeah, they make the 1960s look like a cakewalk mm-hmm. up until the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Where are we at now? What what do we make the 1990s look like? Yeah. And that's not that long ago. That's when you and I were born. That's when yeah. you and I were children. That's all. All your Nickelodeon characters. <laughs> yeah, the Nickelodeon gear I'm wearing right now. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to That's what I'm saying. Is like this, like if the '60s were a cakewalk mm-hmm. in Cornell West eyes, up until the '90s, so '90s till now, what is that? Yeah, that is no way. Like a cakewalk and especially when we you know when when we think about george bush's election with the hanging ballads or whatever or brad's and then and then even just the fact that we still have an electoral college like what where does that leave us and then and then plus all the atrocities that have been happening yeah if anything, what we should be doing is is building up children's knowledge so that they can make informed decisions, right? It's not our place to be like, hey, you should, in 20 years, you should abolish the electoral college, right? But it should be... Be nice, kids. Yeah, it'd be nice, right? So you're listening <laughs> to this, right? <laughs> hey, maybe we make a, a kid's book like Good Night Electoral College. Yeah. You know the one, yeah, like yeah. Good Night Moon? Exactly, yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's our next moneymaker. <laughs> But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's to feed them information from from you know I would say both sides or from a neutral side so that they can be well informed, right? So they can be contributors to this civilization, to yes. this society. Yes. Regardless, obviously, we hope that they they lead with a social justice lens, but regardless of what um what side of the aisle or what issue they take up. Well, I think you can you can have a side, mm-hmm. and you can be social justice with yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why you got. I mean, God rest his soul. My, I, I voted for him before Ooh. I did. Uh, uh Carrie. Okay. Gotcha. No, 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 no. I voted I for like, John he's... McCain. Okay, I was like, because uh, John McCain, mm-hmm. he's legit, and the fact that his wife 
is like endorse Biden. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. y'all. <laughs> so I like to think you tell children, you know, everything, but sometimes you don't get the first crack at supporting children and that part of their development. Sometimes there are things that happen that, that you know, when they're at home with their caretakers or caregivers or their parents or whatever uh, figures in their life. So pick any major life event. Oh, God. <laughs> what do you tell parents to support them as they tell their children about that specific thing? Man, honestly, my mom's is the one that, like, reigns through with this particular question. Okay. So... She had a different way of being than my own dad, mm-hmm. who was pretty Bible thumpy. Yep. And okay, if it wasn't for my mom, I wouldn't have enough black women surrounded by me. Mm-hmm. Victoria, right? Uh, Vanessa, 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 um, Carla, Nisi. Those are the three that I can rem- uh, remember, and and they all they were all in specific like like Nisi was during that earthquake time um Carla was during a time when my parents like marriage was tumultuous and then Vanessa was like in between Carla and then before she passed God rest her soul Mm. you know so I've always had these really strong like I told you like behind scenes like these really strong black women behind behind me really like Mm -hmm. with my upbringing because I think they really help inform my mom's upbringing of at least me. Yeah. And and probably my brother too. I don't I I can't speak for his upbringing. But I the thing that that my mom brought to me was you always have to be open. Like kids are always going to give you and an effing knuckleball. Uh-huh. I mean, if I was a kid that like one year lit myself on fire on accident, mm. I was the kid that next year like hung myself into a tree and then four <laughs> years later like chopped my foot with an axe and profusely bled but stopped it. And, you know, it like kids are just going to throw you screwballs. Mm. And the only thing you can do, remember, like, I, I think it was the uh, the first, one of the first episodes is, like, my Kung Fu teaching is, like, action without action. Yep, yep. Wu Wei. Wu Wei. <laughs> just, just be ready. Yeah, and you just. So approach it with the, with the open mind. And open heart. Mm. Because, yeah, you can have an open mind. But that doesn't mean you are a null of uh, judgment. If you can honestly approach things with an open mind and an open heart, then you are nulling your judgment. So my, you know, tragedy also happens to us as adults. Have you ever disclosed information to someone differently? And how do you go about it developmentally appropriate in different ways? Yeah, man, that's a good question. Um, you know, because we, we often only use that term when it comes to children, mm-hmm. developmentally appropriate. But I think very, very much it can it can be applied to us adults as well. And 
So yes and no, I, I had to disclose information to someone differently. You know, I think about, you know, with, with my brothers and my sisters, when, you know, my, my parents' marriage was on the rocks and I was the only one being at home and hearing, you know, the arguments and hearing like the whispers and like the little things where like my mom would call me to go do this for her dad or tell my dad this and then vice versa. Damn, that sounds like my little brother. Damn. <laughs> you know, and um, being, being young and having to disclose that to my brother and my sister differently was, was hard. And just thinking about the different ways that, that I, that I did it was, you know, my, I wrote a, I actually wrote a letter to my sister because she's very much, she needs something tangible in her hands. Mm-hmm. And, and then that, that was the way that I had to explain it. And it was just, and it was also healing for myself because it was an opportunity to just get out all the little thoughts, right? Because I know like, I, I, I mean, I'm not that eloquent speaking. <laughs> No, yeah, you are. <laughs> now, but you know, back then I certainly certainly wasn't. Right. Um, but it was an opportunity to get down all of my thoughts, synchronize them, have them in chronological order, and be like, hey, this is this is a situation that's happening. And I'm alone and I'm dealing with this by myself. And I and I need you to to be as I'm the rock to my parents to eat individually hmm. because I'm the only one in the house. I need you to be that rock for me, even though you're a thousand miles away, you know, going to college, having your own crisis, you know, when you're 18 and 19, right? <laughs> uh, when everything seems bigger that at that time, but I, I need you. So I disclose that differently to, to my, to my sister that way. And then my brother I actually called him on the phone. And we're not a big, we're not we're not really close, right? My family members and I, but I remember calling him, and it was had to be on the weekdays after nine because you had the minutes, <laughs> 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 and uh, just going through. <laughs> and he's a very like he's a very detailed oriented. Like, like, call me after this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wasting my minutes. <laughs> He needs okay. to know like what happened at six oh one and he needs to know what happened at six oh three. So it was it was and that's radically different from how I process because I'm more of like pick up the phone and just blurt everything out and then like right, I'm right cool. there with you, yeah. Mike. I think that's why this works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like in developmentally appropriate ways and in ways that they learn best, I had to do different things. And I also thinking about just like when my grandmother died on my mom's side and how I had to be, you know, that tragedy that happened to her. And even though it was, it was fun, you know, funny because she was disclosing the information to me and wanted to be my rock in that situation. Cause that was my first experience, lived experience with death. And I was like, what, 12, 13, whatever. And it really turned and I had to flip that around where where I was the strength for her. I was the rock. I was the one making the phone calls to family members to find out what the connecting flight was for her. I was the one helping her pack her bags 
And because, you know, when you lose someone that's, that you're close with, it could be debilitating sometimes. Well, and when they're close with the whole entire family. Exactly. Yeah. And you, you were tasked to coordinate that with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I didn't have the fortune <laughs> to, <Yeah. laughs> to do that, but I kind of understand what you're talking about with my grandfather, at least. And I mean, I'm not trying to like steal your thunder, but no, no. I know what you're talking about. Like, and fortunately, like there was a lot of adults that like took over it for me, but I can't imagine to to be to be a thirteen, fourteen year old kid mm-hmm. that is having to do that. Yeah, but you know those aren't just siloed acts. I think about just just during COVID, right, and having to. Like right now, yeah, and yeah. having being part of the leadership team and disclosing information, like, hey, we're going to have to, you know, furlough people, or you're going to have to have an option to to be laid off, and doing that to different ways. I remember pulling people aside and having one on ones with them. Um, I remember, you know, getting on the phone, doing Zoom calls, um, you know, writing cards. And just trying to meet the needs of of individuals, and yeah, it took a lot of energy, and I'm still tired from it. I <laughs> mean, you know, it took a lot of work. But when you're delivering major news like this, it's, it's important that we do it in in sensitive ways, I and mean, in the ways that right that they that they can can understand and comprehend, and not let it. Um, not let not let it cripple them, but instead, right. you know, not a deficit model, but you know, do it through a strength based approach. Yeah, and I think like if you're gonna let someone go, mm. you're like, <laughs> we're letting you go, but we also got your back. Exactly. Because when we when we let you go, we're be like, hey, they got this tailwind. Yeah. After them. Yeah, I totally agree. So you always say it, man. We. We at Hilltop always preach about it. So I want to end this napcast on that note. When disasters strike, how do you and how do we as an organization respect the voices of children? And really, how do we include children in this post-disaster rebuilding? Honestly, just to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, re- I have really found that like children are at their best when they're being told that they're their best. Yeah. Like just be real with kids. Mm-hmm. I, 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 and again, like it goes back into our like uh, last recording, like. And invite them in on the process, you know. It's if not more so, yeah, because we're always walking around with our puff chuffed, our, our chest puffed out, like, oh, we have the answers. I went to college, for yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, I'm gonna have to edit that out. And then, um, don't do it, <laughs> and then you know, we we always, yeah, we always think that we have the answers, and sometimes it's, it's as simple as, hey, when we come back to school. When we get a chance to, to hug each other, when we get a chance to to be in the room without a mask, 
How do you want this interaction to be? How do you want us to, to show up? And it doesn't even have to be how us educators show up for them. It could be how we set children up for other types of successes. How do we empower children? And I'm especially thinking about children who are in mixed age classrooms. Um, how do we take new children who have been displaced or have been, you know, in a disaster like the flood who had to combine classrooms or or new children or starting mid-year? How do we how do we empower these children um, to be mentors? How do we support children and allow them to take ownership of the rituals, of the routines, of the procedures in the classroom post-disaster? I uh, I attended a workshop the other day and it said something like, you know, around something like this. If your values of the organization hasn't changed over the years, you should change them. Those values were for the children in your care during that time. There's a new set of children walking your halls or the outdoors, you know, getting muddy or wherever your situation is, right? In your learning environment. And those values might not be applicable for them. And that really got me thinking, how do we let go of our values and, you know, let children drive the values of the classroom? We let them drive, you know, the curriculum. So why not the values? And I'm thinking from everything from how they choose to be disciplined to how they they structure their day to conflict resolution. Each classroom is such a community and it's a community within the community. And really this post-disaster conversation or, or thought is or opportunity is a, is a chance to reset that and to fold in all of these new ideas and approaches. Yeah, uh, I definitely uh, appreciate how you invite um, children in to have their voices represented and how you always bring that to the forefront of of the conversation, right? It's whenever we're talking about whatever. Yeah, exactly. Really. <laughs> whatever. Literally, whatever, right? Whatever. Like give me or give plan. me your thing. Whatever. <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> you know, you're always like, okay, how how do we have this with the how do we approach this with a childlike mind or attitude? You know? Yeah. I think that's that's how we include children in post disaster rebuilding. I agree. All right. <laughs> Hey, appreciate you, brother. Love you. Thank you, Napcast. <laughs> Let's do a, a visible high five. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>